today we're going to talk about the subjective benefits of meditation. What I mean by subjective benefits is the kind of benefits that we can see in our lives for ourselves rather than say the neurological benefits, although the two are really two sides of the same coin, but we're not going to be looking at scientific evidence here. We're going to be looking more at anecdotal evidence. Just to tell you that I've met dozens of people who say that meditation has transformed their lives and there is mounting gold standard scientific evidence that confirms all the anecdotal evidence that people have. I'm actually going to use Shinzen Yong's way of classifying the benefits of meditation. He says that there are five dimensions of human happiness that meditation encourages and this will just bring simplicity and clarity to the conversation. The five dimensions are reducing suffering, understanding yourself, increasing fulfillment, behavior change, and cultivating a spirit of service to the world. And these five categories, they all work together. So increasing your fulfillment makes behavior change more likely. The more you understand yourself, the more control you have over your suffering as well. So we're going to look at them somewhat separately, but bear in mind that they all interact and they all, they're all different sides of the bigger picture process of meditative transformation. So let's get into the first one, which is reducing suffering. So by suffering, I don't mean like plagues or famine or war, although that, you know, that stuff is included. I'm talking about our personal suffering on a daily basis. Most of us have low-grade suffering on a da daily. And there's also times of high-grade suffering in our lives, like when there's deaths, when there's bad news, when there's physical ailments that affect your quality of life. You can use the skills of meditation to penetrate the grip and loosen the grip of low and high grade suffering. And when you've developed your meditation skills to a sufficient level, you feel much more confident in your ability to deal with the hard times. At the end of the day, pain is a sensory experience. That's what you know of pain. And mindfulness helps you optimally process that experience of pain and penetrate the narrative of the pain and you being the one that the pain is affecting, which is what creates our sense of suffering. It also changes your experience of the body, meditation. So you can see the pain as more as flowing energy moment to moment than this solid, unshakable lump that is just there and there's nothing you can do about it. And this is true both of physical pain and emotional pain. What we're going to practice in meditation is to untangle all the separate components of suffering that multiply together to create the experience of suffering. There's examples of chronic pain patients who've benefited greatly from mindfulness. There's mindfulness-based mindfulness stress reduction, which is a really popular program designed to reduce stress in people, not just work-related stress, all kinds of stress and it's having wonderful success. One thing that you're going to learn in meditation is that the mind is a suffering generator. What do I mean by this? 
The mind revolves around problems and finding solutions to them. And even once it's found a solution to a problem, or believes it does, it always finds more problems. Like your daily life is you thinking about all your problems. In meditation, you take the power away from that, from your mind, by penetrating the experience of the mind and just being able to see through it as being ethereal and nebulous. And that loosens you up. I'm not going to say your mind is going to stop generating this stuff, but you're going to see through it and you're going to, you're not going to identify with all that. And if you're not convinced by what I'm saying about reducing suffering and reducing your attachment to the mind, which often creates suffering, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, or MBCT, which includes a lot of standard mindfulness techniques, is now the UK government's recommended treatment for people with repeated doubts, bouts of depression and anxiety and uh, who haven't found a cure. So... If it can work for people, depression and anxiety patients, imagine what it can do for our low-grade suffering in life. And also, we can also bring it into the high, the moments of high suffering. Second dimension is understanding yourself. And this is both psychologically and spiritually. Developing these skills help you see your mind and your body with greater clarity. You can detect what's going on in your psychological and mental life in many different situations and you can see how your thoughts and emotions, they drive you to act in certain ways. Mindfulness is increasingly used in therapy, coaching, psychology, medicine and so on for this very reason. In my own experience, I'm definitely more self-aware than I've ever been in my life. I wouldn't put all of this down to mindfulness, but certainly a part of it, uh, an important part of it is down to mindfulness. And I often apply mindfulness and meditation to my inner life when, I'm, when, it, when I need to, which in turn boosts these skills. And without the insights I've had through meditation and mindfulness, I'd simply, I wouldn't have the knowledge that I do about my own psychology and how I work. Let's talk more about the spiritual understanding. So to lay people, to people who aren't involved in meditation, who <laughs> have never heard of this stuff, the whole notion that we aren't who we think we are might seem far-fetched or philosophical, perhaps even suspicious. Regardless, there is a clear Meditation takes you through stages of self-transcendence and takes you into a spiritual identity. And once you even see a glimpse of this higher territory, your life is never the same again. And don't just take that from me, take that from all the great spiritual masters, modern and ancient. While in this course we're not going to talk too much about the E-word, enlightenment, we have to be aware that this is a natural result of meditation. In fact, meditation in its oldest, purest form is really a technology for spiritual enlightenment. And so there is that, I'm not even going to say a spiritual possibility, it's almost an inevitability. If you keep practicing meditation, that you're going to head into this deep spiritual understanding of yourself. The third dimension is to increase fulfillment. So what does this mean? This means just being able to 
gain satisfaction from even small pleasures in life. So one thing I'll say about the modern world is that despite the proliferation of luxuries and experiences that are available to common people now, not just royalty, our tendency as human beings is to miss most of the most of the moments we live. So let's look at examples. Those moments we spend a lot of time orchestrating and building up to be this amazing moment or this amazing period of time, like a holiday or a wedding or a fancy meal. How much, how fully there are we? Are we actually there in the moment, enjoying the raw experience, or are we in imagining some other moment? Or are we thinking about the fact, the past, or are we planning the future as we are in that moment that we've planned for and we've looked forward to for so long? Are we dreaming of some better day in that moment? What you'll notice is that even if when you're having the fancy meal, so to speak, it could be any experience that you've concocted, you usually enjoy like the first bite or two and you deeply savour the taste of the food. But then after that, you're back on autopilot and you're not really, in, you're not in the moment. You're not experiencing the food. You're not experiencing the ex what it's like to be in this restaurant with your loved ones or who, with, with ev who, whoever you're with. <clears throat> As John Kabat-Zinn said, Quote, when we are functioning in this mode, we may eat without really tasting, see without really seeing, hear without really hearing, and talk without really knowing what we are saying. End quote. Very powerful, and that's exactly what I'm trying to say here. But when you're awake and you're tuned into your life moment by moment, you start to contact a deep satisfaction. Life becomes more vibrant the beauty of the present moment becomes apparent. You fall more and more into the present and you even become present with your lack of presence, which we all have. Your tastes shift. So rather than asking, how can life stimulate me? Like, how can I now do something so that life stimulates me? You turn that whole thing around, flip it 180 degrees. You start asking, how can I shift my state of attention such that I get I can get more out of this very moment? That doesn't mean you're not going to do anything, that you're not going to go out and eat food, but your relationship's going to change. You're going to see it as like a, almost like a test of your presence and how much you can really be in the moment with what you're experiencing. Even if you're waiting in a queue in a, an apparently boring room, <laughs> instead of saying, oh, this is so boring, I wish there was more exciting stuff going on. I can't wait to leave here and put my music on and in my car and drive home, whatever. You ask yourself, how can I change my relationship to this moment, the experience of being in a queue, such that it actually becomes enjoyable and such that I actually find transformation in it? So when I meet in food, for example, I ask how I can get more out of the experience, no matter what it is I'm eating and always monitor my levels of presence. Sometimes I'm not very present, but I notice that when I'm really able to be present, the food is, it's a, it's actually a transformative experience eating food. The same with when you're walking around town, the same with when you're listening to music, when you're admiring scenery and so on. 
I see that my level of satisfaction in that moment is much determined by how deeply I'm actually paying attention to what's going on. In fact, I'd say that there's actually beauty in every moment, no matter what's going on. And it's waiting there to be discovered and it's really up to each of us to bring presence and to be able to connect with it. It's not that it's not that certain moments are ugly and certain moments are beautiful. It's that all moments have their beauty and it's up to us to develop our mindfulness skills to be able to appreciate them. As I said, these moments can become moments of transformation. Moments of... They become vehicles for your meditation practice and they sort of become like a test. And it's not just the pleasant ones, it's the unpleasant ones as well. And the neutral ones. You can start to actually find transformation and the beauty in those I just want to say that this isn't a hedonistic pursuit and I'm not saying we should just go about trying to enjoy life more although that is a that's a great thing but meditation is not only that but just imagine a knock-on effect this could have imagine if you got more out of every moment you lived what effect would that have on your emotional life what effect would that have on your relationships? What effect would that have, have on your behavior and the ways you go about pursuing pleasure in your life? In those moments, you can also use your meditation skills to penetrate the craving and the suffering and the, the moaning and the whining and the boredom that the mind creates, which only brings you more into the present and helps you appreciate the experience for what it is closely related to dimension three is dimension four which is behavior change now what i mean by this is objective changes in behavior doing more of what you need to do and doing less of what's damaging to you why does meditation help you with behavior change well quite simply because meditation is about paying attention to what's going on around you inside and outside you tune into the mental and emotional processes that contribute to all your behavior when we're not aware of this we make decisions and act in a dysfunctional way because we're not clear we don't have that poise and that stability and often we're just running on autopilot we're not really taking informed decisions in the moment and that can lead to really terrible things like addictions and poor behavior patterns physical symptoms is another important component of this physical symptoms are like the body's alert system so a physical symptom tells us about the body's state and its needs in that moment when we're in touch with our body which is something that you cultivate in meditation we're more attuned to its signals and we're more able to respond appropriately as a result so let's look at an example of this in my life. This is a very poignant example for me. In my case, I no longer drink alcohol. I've actually not drank alcohol for over two years now, even though I've done it since a young age. And I'm not going to claim that meditation is the only cause of this. But I can see that, I can see how much mindfulness and meditation have helped me replace my prior need for alcohol and to give me without with no need for drugs alcohol anything is to give me the same level of fulfillment i would have got 
or I thought I would have got by drinking alcohol. I won't go into too much depth here as to how you might use meditative awareness to work through your need for alcohol, but let me just give you one example. For example, in social situations, which is when a lot of us drink alcohol, I used to do it to sort of lubricate my conversation skills, give me Dutch courage, and just to feel more at ease, to reduce my inhibitions. Instead of doing that though, what I do now is I bring exquisite attention to the sense of feeling awkward and self-conscious and stiff, to the self-conscious thoughts, the worry, the social anxiety. I bring attention to that and I just untangle it all and I let all of that inner material flow through me in the moment. And when I do that, I feel more spontaneous. I feel free just to act as I want without worrying and also get in touch with the beauty of the present more readily because all that mental stuff isn't there blocking me from the actual experience of the social event. And all that means that I can be in a social situation, one that perhaps even does make me feel a bit uncomfortable, but I can be there without needing to cover over all that, cover over those inner things with alcohol and trying to drown them out. I can just be with them and go through them. I actually find it quite fascinating how these skills have helped me dissolve my need for alcohol. I think it's it's quite a high leverage move. Uh, I also would say though, this extends to really any bad habit or any just poor suboptimal behavior. Like you can see how your bad diet, your smoking, your drinking, your lack of exercise, how all of this affects your body and your state of mind simply because you're more attuned to your body and your state of mind and you can act from more clarity since you're more present you're more aware of what's going on around you and within you and finally let's talk about dimension five which is to cultivate a spirit of service to the world so this isn't guaranteed to happen there's actually examples of spiritual masters who go the wrong the other way and even though they they do help a lot of people, they actually abuse their power and they, well, we won't go into the details, but there is compelling evidence that loving kindness meditation, for example, increases compassion and willingness to act. I think one of the reasons behind why meditation makes you more disposed to be of service to people is because over time it uncoils your sense of self or your habitual sense of self helping you to see into your deeper nature, as we've spoken about earlier in this video. And the thing is about this deeper nature is that it's also other people's deeper nature. And so you tap into a greater sense of unity with others that you would never have been able to uncover otherwise. And I guess another reason for this that I've discovered from my own research is that meditation boosts our overall level of development. And the highest levels of human development are actually intrinsically altruistic, compassionate, self-transcendent, and more of these positive qualities that we admire. In my own experience, I've realized that I'm more attuned to people's emotional and physical state, as well as I own my own one, meaning that I can see when they're suffering even perhaps more than they can, which just makes me more available. It makes me more compassionate towards them so 
as your meditation practice develops. Watch for this spirit of service coming around. And this is something you can actually you can actively cultivate. And we're going to talk about this later in the course. You don't have to force it. Just do the practice and watch if this particular benefit comes up for you. And it's actually a great thing to cultivate compassion through practices like loving kindness because the other kinds of practices are called insight practices and they can sort of <laughs> end up unlinking you from other people and from the world because you sort of transcend the world, you transcend your identity and this stuff brings you back to earth again and both have been used throughout many for millennia to balance one another. So those are the five big, broad, subjective benefits of meditation. And in the next video, we're going to talk about the scientific benefits of meditation, the best scientific evidence behind what meditation does for us.